as I was growing up, I began to get involved with pornography. Being in a computer, watching pornography, and, and uh, having all this lust in front of me was the way out of when I felt sad or when I felt upset or when I felt like I just had to get away from my problems. This is what I found the relief in until somebody invited me to church one day. After somebody invited me to church one day, I decided to come and it was pretty fun. They were a good church. They were a fun church. They were a church that got the point across. I realized that God wanted a lot more from me. Eventually, I came to the acknowledgement that that's what I needed and I accepted that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior and that I needed Him. There was still that struggle in my life and because I never decided to deal with it, I had a hard time even thinking of myself as anybody who related to Christ or had something to do with God. You know, being really involved with pornography to the point where I was now addicted, I was having some serious problems figuring out who I was and I couldn't relate to people at church. I felt as if everything that I was trying to live out and the Bible, you know, that word I kept reading was never ever become effective in my life. And I just felt like basically the fakest Christian ever. It was kind of a, a big pride issue for me to realize that I needed help from others and not just from Jesus Christ, but from those people in that church that I found. And it was hard, it was hard looking at my friends around me, knowing that if they only knew what I was really doing, perhaps they wouldn't really be the awesome Christian friends that they were to me. I would sit there and I would think, if they only knew how I feel inside, you know, if they only knew how messed up I feel about myself, if they only knew what I see when I look in the mirror and I don't see a Christian, I don't see somebody who's in love with God. If they only knew um, how I felt and how I looked at myself because I was so covered in sin and I was so covered in, in mistakes that um, I didn't feel genuine after all. I didn't feel genuine and I didn't feel that God would actually and it's a scary thought, but that he would even allow me to be with him in heaven for the rest of eternity. And so I had to trust God at one point that, um, that there would be somebody out there that wasn't going to judge me or that there would at least be somebody out there and as hard as they thought this thought was for me at the time, that somebody was out there who had actually been through this, that had actually struggled with pornography the way I had and been addicted at one point the way I had. It was hard, but eventually I let somebody know. I let somebody know that I had this problem. I let somebody know that, that even though I accepted Jesus Christ, I was still struggling with pornography and that I was still having a problem with, uh, with letting go of it. And those people around me just showed me love, just demonstrated love. They, they spent time with me just to make sure that I knew that, that they loved me. And all this was all helping me become that person who loved God and learned to love others. And the change that happened slowly but surely was just amazing because I can trust Him and I learned to trust people that know Him. And just confessing my sin and being accountable to people like that made the huge difference between coming from somebody addicted to pornography to coming to somebody who is in love with God. Well, I, uh, I wanted to share that. Uh, you for be able to experience that story and just... Uh, for, for you to know, like to, the focus of this morning is not pornography. Trust me, we would have promoted that a lot more strongly. Uh, but what you just heard is going to tie very, very closely into what we're going to talk about today. If you see a glimpse 
of what can come from what we're going to talk about today. Because a few weeks ago, we began this series called Life Apps. And the reason we started this whole series is because we're digging into the New Testament and we're talking about these things because, as most of us would agree, life and faith is complicated enough on a normal day, under normal circumstances. But, but 2020 has put complicated on steroids. And when we are fatigued and when we are stressed and when we are under pressure, we can be our own worst enemy. And we can do and say things and make choices and develop habits that uh, hurt us. And none of it, no matter how secret uh, we think it might be, hurts only us, but it hurts the people around us, the people that we say we care for the most. But the challenge is, for those of us that, that believe in and pray to a God, if, if we're honest, we just want God to sort of uh, miraculously and magically fix us, right? We just kind of want God, you know, to just miraculously, magically fix our problems and break us free from making bad decisions that hurt us or hurt other people and just kind of magically make us better people and make us successful at life and relationships. But the problem is that God doesn't usually work that way. Uh, but what he has done consistently from the very beginning of humankind is prepare, is provide a way. He provides a way to address and overcome these things, which uh, means that while God most certainly has a crucial part, in fact, we can't, act, we can't do it without Him, we have a part to play as well. In fact, we launched this series by looking at something that James, the brother of Jesus, said when he said, do not merely listen to the Word, which is like listening to a message or listening to preaching or reading Christian books or even reading your Bible. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Now imagine, 2,000 years ago, this guy in the dusty Mideast somehow believed that there would be a culture where people would gather in rows and listen to a religious talk, and because they had listened and maybe felt a little guilty, that they felt by listening and feeling guilty, they had a genuine religious experience. And they would equate guilt with a connection with God, and they would leave church or leave a sermon or log off and go, hey, I'm a good church person. You know, I, I went to church, so God loves me more. I went to church, I felt bad about myself. Like, what could be better than that in God's eyes? And James says, you know, that's, that's, that's made up. That has nothing to do with walking with God or following Jesus. He said, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So James, brother of Jesus, basically saying, unapplied paint that's still in the can doesn't do you any good. Buying a treadmill, shocker, doesn't do you any good. Okay, uh, joining a health club in January doesn't do you any good. Uh, you can take a class on nutrition, it doesn't do you any good. Application is what makes all the difference. And for large chunks of history, this is where we have so confused and so turned off so many to church and to God and ultimately to Jesus because people who aren't God followers, who aren't Christians, they're on the outside and they see people that talk about being a Christian or even brag about being a Christian, that we get up in the morning, we go to church, or we log on and we listen to some sort of religious talk of some sort, but we don't do anything differently. We just go to church and we just listen to sermons and then we say, hey, you ought to check out my church. And they're like, why? why? You do the same kind of things. There's no real difference in the way that we live our lives. In fact, in some ways, I kind of live my life better and treat people better than you do. So why would I sacrifice my Sunday morning? You go, oh, because you'll be closer to God. 
And James goes, what? No, no, listening is nothing. Doing is everything. You have to do something. So because we're a community where every person matters and we love one another, uh, the person that's been here from the beginning or today is your very first time, uh, whether you're just exploring the faith or you've been a Jesus follower for decades, uh, we're a community that we're seeking to help each other find and follow Jesus more closely, more faithfully, because He came to introduce to us life that is truly life. And a God-led, God-blessed life, not just heaven when we die, though that in itself is huge. So for these few weeks, we're talking about six very specific life applications. And if you're a Christian, James is going agreeing with and feeling bad somehow about these things isn't enough. Doing is what makes all the difference. Our first app we talked about was forgiveness. And if you missed, if you missed that week, you really owe yourself to go to our newlifewichita.com to watch, to download, to listen to that message, the app of forgiveness. Because we talked about the fact that forgiven people forgive. But that sounds like letting someone off the hook for something that they've done to you. Something that might even fall in the category of what you would say is evil. And if you feel that way, then again, you need to go back and listen to that talk. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then we lose all excuses to not forgive. And last week we talked about the Focus app. And that's the app that defines where to focus and fix our sights on how to stop being our own worst enemy. The Focus app will give you the ability to move forward in the middle of uncertain circumstances and still feel peace and a clear sense of direction. And today, for a few minutes, I want to talk to us about the Life app of Confession. Now, when I say confession, if you grew up Catholic, uh, you think of the sacrament of penance, that you were taught that you go and you confess your sin to a priest and you're absolved of your sin. If you grew up Protestant, we feel superior to Catholics because we don't have to have a go-between. Like, we can just go to God. So basically, if if you're Protestant, uh, what you're taught is that uh, when you go home at night, you get into bed. If you're really serious, you get on your knees by your bed And you just confess all of your sins to God. You just tell Him directly about the sins that you've committed. And we're taught that once you've confessed your sins, God doesn't remember them anymore. That He's just kind of erased it, and you're just basically, you've emptied out your sin bucket. So then you just take your sin bucket into the next day, and the new day, and you fill it up again, and then you come home again at night, and you'll go, oh God, my bucket is full again. I feel terrible. You empty your sin bucket, and then somehow magically God forgets your sin. And, and here's the deal. In all religious systems, in, all, in, the, in the Catholic system, the Protestant system, the Baptist system, Presbyterians have a version, every religious system outside of Christianity, there's kind of this scheme or this effort where we're trying to find a way to outsmart God. See, the Protestant version is that we think God is so dumb that once I've confessed my sins, He just forgets them. And then I repeat them, and He's like, oh my gosh, like you did this for the first time. And for all my Catholic friends who were honest, and this is an abuse of the system, but the whole penance thing was really about emptying out my sin bucket so I can go back out on a Friday or Saturday night and fill it up again. And so I tend to confess the same things over and over and over again, and God's going, oh man, you got me again. In every religious system, when it comes to sin, there's some sort of ploy to try and outsmart God. But the problem with that is, trying to outsmart God is a sin. 
trying to find a loophole or, well, you know, if I, if I read this text just right and twist it a little bit this way, then I can just justify and make myself feel better that what I'm choosing to do is okay. And we're trying to find a loophole in your theology. When you try to do that or find a loophole with God, that is sin. So if you have some sort of system where you're treating God like he's an idiot or you, just found, the, or you found this loophole, you're dishonoring God. If you grew up Catholic, you should know that the whole confession system didn't show up till about 600 years after Jesus. My point simply being that uh, this is a made-up thing. It's, it's not a Bible thing. And it didn't begin as penance, because penance, the word penance comes from the word repentance, and repentance is way worse than penance. Because if you do penance, then you do penance, but with repentance, it means I don't do it anymore. And I like penance better than repentance, because I want to keep doing it some more, and I want to be forgiven. But see, in the old days, the interesting thing is you only got to confess your sin to a priest one time. You could only be absolved once, and then the expectation was that once you, once you confessed, you weren't going to do that anymore. What a horrible system is that? Okay, now Protestants, which most of you listening to me would fall into that category, uh, you need to know that when you confess your sins to God, He does not forget your sins. And you know how I know that? Because your mom's not going to let him forget your sins and what you put her through growing up. And your brother or your sister is not going to let God forget your sins or your ex. Don't let him talk to your ex. Okay? See, people, and then the problem is people talk about you, you know, behind your back. So you go and confess your sin and then he forgets, but then he hears these other people talking. It's like, he said what? He did what? And so you just can't get away from it. I made that up. But here's the deal. There's a couple of verses in Scripture that individuals have kind of twisted to kind of form this belief. But here's how we know that God doesn't forget your sin just because you confess it. And if you're a Bible person, you know this. So, for example, remember, in the Old Testament, there's a story that I actually spoke on just like four or five weeks ago from the life of King David. And it is David in a second name. It's David and... Don't say the name... God forgot, all right? So, you know, so, see, some sins committed by men and women are documented in Scripture. And so it's not like somebody reads out loud from 2 Samuel about David and Bathsheba and suddenly God's going, David and who? David did what? Like, I forgot. It's just, see, I don't know if somebody taught this to us or somehow we just assumed it, but most of us, maybe all of us, somehow we believe that the point of confession is to relieve our guilt and to relieve our conscience. So over time, confession really becomes all about me. Okay, I, I don't feel good about me. I, 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 there's like something between me and God. I feel bad. And, you know, especially as a 21st century American, I don't like to feel bad. How do I get rid of these icky feelings? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll confess to God. And God, I just want to confess all my sins to you. And now that we are done, I feel so much better. I'm just going to confess my sins to God. Or I'm going to confess my sins to a priest or a pastor. And I'm going to get on my knees and confess. And, and somehow we think that confession is about guilt relief. Or clearing our conscience. But when you actually open the Scriptures, when you, you find that there is never any passage in the Old or the New Testament that somehow brings the idea of confession and conscience together. But what you do find is that genuine, real, scriptural confession serves as the first step towards something different. 
The genuine confession serves as a first step towards repentance, that you don't do it anymore, and reconciliation. As when you sin against someone else, true confession leads you back to that person to make things right with that person. But see, I prefer my version. Okay, I prefer where I get to have a secret confession with God and it's between me and God or maybe a pastor or a priest, but the problem is real confession is that I'm going to tell God that I'm sorry and then I'm going to come and I'm going to own it and tell you I'm sorry. Real confession is I'm going to open up the lid of my heart, my mind, and my soul to somebody other than just God, that I'm going to open it up to somebody like you. And that I, but see, the problem is I'm like you. I want to keep that lid tight, okay? I only want to let you get so close, all right? But see, the problem is that when it's just me and God and all, there's all these secret conversations, they just happen over and over and over again and nothing changes. But somehow I feel better about myself. And again, I'm in the same boat as you, all right? I don't like any of this at all. In fact, Leading into this morning, this was even part of my prayers. God, like, there's really not a lot of talks. When it comes to talking about Scripture and Jesus and God and faith and wrestling, like, I love it. But there are some messages that I don't really look that forward to. This, this is, is one of them because this is one of those topics that if you and I embrace, if you and I embrace the idea of confessing the way Jesus taught, the way the Scriptures teach, it is threatening. It's unsettling. It can be very uncomfortable. And depending on the situation, it can feel a little terrifying. But genuine confession leads to genuine change, which is the ultimate purpose of confession. God never intended for us to just come up with some internal game where I make myself feel better about myself and relieve my conscience. In fact, if you, if you look at all of the passages of Scripture and the Bible about confession, most of them have something in there about a person going to another person to confess. And when there is reference to confessing to God, there's always reference to confessing to other people against whom we've sinned and who can hold us accountable so that there's more than just penance, there's repentance and there's change. And, when, and now in the Old Testament, as most of you know, God delivers the nation of Israel from Egypt. So for 400 years, all they've known is slavery. They're a slave state. You know, you have Moses, let my people go, that whole story. And so the 400 years leading up to that moment, all they've known was how to be a slave. Master tells you what to do. You say, yes, Master. You don't have to think for yourself. And then God gives them a new societal order. And in, ta- in this, Here's one of the things he said about confession. He said, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way. So it could be a verbal wrong. It could be a mistreatment wrong. You lie. You steal from someone. You break trust. Uh, Anybody that mistreats someone in any way, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way, acts unfaithfully toward the Lord and is guilty. Now I go, no, God. I, I wrong them, not you. God goes, no. If you mistreat a person... You have been unfaithful to me. But see, you and I, we like to keep those things separate. We like to distinguish between the two. See, so that way I can treat you as terribly as I want to and then get home at night, get on my knees, say, God, I'm so sorry for how terribly I treated them and, and you, know, you forgive me. But see, God says, no, no, no. These things go together. 
It's like if you were to mistreat one of my four kids. It doesn't matter how awesome you treat me, or you gather, you three, three, sing three songs and sing my praise. It does not matter. You have mistreated one of my kids. Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way acts unfaithfully towards the Lord and, and is guilty. And then here's our introduction to Old Covenant Confession 101. The person is to confess the sin he has committed. Confess to who? He's to pay full compensation, add a fifth of its value to it, and give it to the individual that he's wronged. What? Yeah, it doesn't just stop with saying, I'm sorry, uh, I, I made a mistake, I didn't mean to do it. God says for relationships on this earth to be the way I designed them to be, to have peace among people, there must be restitution for wrong. So add another fifth and, and give it to the person that you've wronged. So in the Old Testament, confession is realizing, okay, I've stolen from you, I cheated you, I wasn't fair to you, I somehow wronged you, uh, there is something that I shouldn't have said, that I did say, somehow I have violated our relationship, and I went to God and I said, I'm really, really sorry, and our Heavenly Father goes, I'm glad you're sorry, now go make things right. Because see, it's not going to be right with me until you make it right with them. Go confess to them. Can I just confess to you, God? No. Go confess to them. But if I confess to them, it's going to be awkward. If I confess to them, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be embarrassing and painful. And to add salt to the wound, I have to make restitution. Yes, you have to pay them back an additional 20%. See, Old Testament confession in the Old Testament was associated and attached to reconciliation and restitution and repentance to change one's behavior. And I'm not going to do it again. It wasn't ever just between God and people. It was between people and people. Now, hundreds of years go by after this law is given. The Jews have been working to live by this law. Jesus shows up. At this point, he's a miracle worker. He's a rock star. Everybody but the religious leaders are loving Jesus. And one day, he's going down the street, and there's this guy that really wants to see Jesus, but he's too short. He can't see over the crowd. His name is Zacchaeus. Some of you were raised in Sunday school, so you know a little song. Zacchaeus was a... There you go. So, he's, so apparently the author was Scottish. He's a wee man. So, uh, so, but he's up in, and he's up in what kind of a tree? Sycamore. All right. So see, all the Sunday school people are here. Uh, so Jesus, he stops. Now let me tell you about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a super wealthy guy. He's got a senior level position working for the Roman government. He has other guys that work for him going out gathering taxes and they're collecting taxes plus surplus. Because Rome basically said, hey, as long as we get our taxes, we don't care what you keep. They had Roman soldiers that went around with them. Everybody hated tax collectors. They hate Zacchaeus. They were traitors. They were so bad, and you see it again and again throughout the New Testament. Uh, tax gatherers had their own category. There were tax gatherers, and there were sinners. The sinners like, they're so bad, like, I don't, we don't even want them in our category. I'm not as bad as a tax collector. So Jesus sees we Zacchaeus up in the tree. Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. Now this throws everybody off because the rabbi wants to go to this hated man's house. They have lunch. We don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, but he finished, Zacchaeus finished listening to whatever it was that Jesus said to him. And think about this as after what we just read from the Old Testament. Zacchaeus stood up. He said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
Zacchaeus, what's up with this irrational generosity? What happened? Well, I've been in the presence of Jesus. And even leading up to that, I was having some inner turmoil uh, about this tax gathering and the hardship that I've created for people. But Jesus came in and I opened up a bit of my heart to Him and a bit of the light shone in. And now I'm ready to do something. I'm ready to make a change. Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, it's like if you've cheated, like that's your whole career is cheating people. You're a tax gatherer. If I've cheated anybody, I will pay back not 20% more, as the law says. I'll pay back four times the amount. In other words, I'm going to confess, I'm going to own up to what I've done, and I'm going to make restitution. And then Jesus responds, Jesus said unto him, Zacchaeus, don't get carried away. If thou hast confessed, it is enough that thou hast confessed thy sin to me in private. I made that up. This is what he, but see, this is what we do. We go, hey, God, you know, you and I, we had a private conversation. It's nobody's business. It's just between me and God. But, but the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus says, no, it's not just between you and me and you. It's between me and you and everybody else you've affected. And Zacchaeus, and, and, and in light of Jesus' words and letting some of that light shine in and proof that it's shown in is that he decided to do something. And what Jesus really said to him was, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. See, Jesus didn't say, no, 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 don't overreact. You don't need to pay people back. You don't need to start asking people if you've offended them. You don't need to make this public. Jesus said, absolutely, way to go, Zacchaeus. I mean, genuine confession leads to genuine life change because guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen If Zacchaeus takes this enormous financial hit by giving half of his possessions away, because he stole them anyway, and guess what's going to happen if he goes to all the trouble to go face to face, facing the shame, sitting down, looking people in the eye that he's robbed, confessing to them, and then paying them back four times as much. Guess what Zacchaeus is is not going to do moving forward? He is not going to rob people anymore. He's not going to take advantage of people anymore because genuine confession leads to genuine change. One more passage. This next verse is from James. And some of you are going to be tempted to Google me on this. It's okay. I dare you. Just save it for later. But James is the only person in the New Testament who commands us to confess. In fact, this is the only place in Scripture where we are specifically commanded to confess. And listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, says. Confess your sins to each other. Like, no, James. You don't understand. If I start confessing to each other, that is seriously going to complicate my life. Okay, and especially right now, life is complicated enough. I like my private confessed to God or maybe a pastor or a priest, but if I start confessing my sins to each other's, do you know what will happen? Yes. You're going to change. Because you won't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. You'll have to change, which is the point, because the pain of genuine confession leads to genuine change. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James is saying, hey, when you gather with other Jesus followers, other believers, when you get together in homes or over lunch, you're getting together as we talk with that two to twelve people and you're in each other's life, these men and women, 
open up your lives to each other. Open up your hearts. Open up your minds with one another. Open up those parts that you really don't want other people to know about. That you're kind of terrified because you're afraid of how they'll respond. And James says, for your sake and for the sake of the people you love, let the light of God's truth shine in because you know what James knows. What many of us know from experience and learn the hard way, that secrets are like splinters. And the longer they're in you, the worse it gets. The best way to handle a splinter splinter is to get it out as quickly as you can. Otherwise, it's going to fester. It's going to get infected. It's going to get even worse. The best thing that you can do with a secret or with a sin that just keeps happening over and over and over again, and you keep going to God going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and God's like, hey, you don't need to tell me you're sorry anymore because I love you. I want you to move forward. So you need to handle this in such a way that there's change and healing and restoration. Now let me get uncomfortably personal with you for just a second as if everything up till now wasn't uncomfortable enough. If you have a secret habit or sin, whatever it is, and you're in the rhythm of going to God and telling Him, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but there's no change, then you need to understand that there's a word for that. And you're not going to like the word, but you already know what it is. But uh, if you're on the other side of it, you know what it is. So let me just flip it around. Let's pretend for a moment that you have a retail store or a small coffee shop and I work for you. And you begin to notice that week after week, there's like two or three hundred dollars missing from the till. And you're positive the money is missing week after week after week. And you finally figure it out. It's me. Maybe you put a camera in. Maybe somebody just told you. You discover that for weeks and weeks, maybe for months, that I've been stealing from you about two or $300 a week. And then you confront me. And in the moment you say, okay, okay, you're right. It was me. But just, just one second before you get too upset, I, just, I need you to know I'm a Christian. And so because of that, I know that stealing from you is wrong. In fact, I so know that it's wrong. Like, I go home every night. I get gotten on my knees and I pray, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for stealing again $187 out of the register today. And I want you to know this is going to make you feel so much better. Because I'm a Christian, I give 10% of what I've been stealing to you, from you to my church. Would you go, oh, God bless you. That's so awesome. No, you'd label me with the H word. You'd go, no, you're a hypocrite. You're playing a game. You're pretending to be something you're not. Like you and God somehow have this system where you got this little prayer thing all worked out and in the meantime, you're ripping me off. Like, no, you're a hypocrite and you're going to pay me back and you're fired. Now, and again, this is hard for me to say because there have been times in my life where I've been totally and shamefully guilty of this. And it is a constant battle because I'm innately selfish. But I was a hypocrite. I've been a hypocrite more than once in my life. More than I can count. And it didn't just hurt me. It hurt the people in my life that I loved. So I'm just telling you I'm not talking down to you. I'm just telling you the personal painful truth. That if you're a Christian, 
if you're a Jesus follower and you've got a little routine worked out where you just simply confess to God and you think that God's just going, hey, it's all good. Don't give it a second thought. I don't even know what you're talking about. I already forgot about it. Or you're absolved. Sin bucket empty. Go fill it up again. You've got this whole thing going on. And yet by your own definition, if the roles were reversed and you saw yourself looking back at you in the mirror, you would point and go, you're a hypocrite. I've got to tell you, the good news is, God's too smart for that. God's not going, what sin? He's not confused. He's patient. And if you're trying to spin confession in such a way that you feel better and there's no change, you're a hypocrite. Now I need to acknowledge another category. You, you might say to me, Chad, you know, you're right, busted. I got secrets, and you're right, I got a little routine worked out, and I'm not going to change. The point of this whole talk is that you've got to change. I'm not ready to. I've got a thing my wife doesn't know, or I've got it all worked out, and I know it's wrong. I've told it's God it's wrong. I thought maybe I got a little credit for acknowledging to God that it was wrong, but I, I'm not going to change. I got this thing going on. It's a little unethical, maybe illegal at work. You know, I feel bad about it. But, and sometimes I've told God, and like, God, just forgive me. But if you're talking about going into work tomorrow and saying, hey, uh, to your boss or another coworker, hey, we, we need to have a conversation. We need to have a meeting. Look, I, I'm not doing that. So I just have a suggestion for you. Like if you would fall into that category, and I'm serious about this, and this is actually going to help you, would you will, be willing to at least begin just praying honestly about it and quit playing a stupid confession game that dishonors God, dishonors you, and dishonors whoever it is that you're dishonoring and they may not know it? And so I want to challenge you to start praying prayers like this. Dear Heavenly Father, you saw what I did today, and I just want to let you know I'm going to keep doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Like, no? I can't pray like that. What, chicken? Come on, just pray real prayers. Just be honest with yourself and honest with God who already knows, but don't live in a fantasy world of going God's like, well, at least he admitted it. Or, wow, if you hadn't told me, I, I wouldn't have known, or I forgot the last time. Just be honest with yourself and honest with God. and Just be honest. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm a Christian. I know better. I'm sorry I'm doing this, but honestly, God, I'm not sorry enough to quit. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, and please watch over my family and give me a good day. Amen. And he, here's why I'm telling you this. If... If you'll decide to quit playing games and just begin an honest dialogue with God, maybe your newfound honesty with God would begin to begin to develop cracks in your resistance. And maybe God, by God's grace, you'll finally get to a point where you just get sick and tired of the, your duplicity and your distance that you feel with God and that you feel with others, especially others that, that you've got this thing between you. Maybe you'll just get so sick and tired of the deceit and the distance that's building between you and the ones that you've wronged that one day you'll come to the point where you like are ready to really confess to somebody where it can actually make a difference. And if you are someone, if you are someone that you're, you are sick and tired of it, confession is pretty a, simple, a pretty simple thing. The formula is go tell the person you've hurt. It, it's a habit or an addiction that no one knows about. You tell someone that can help you with it. 
You tell a person that you've robbed. Tell the person that you've injured with your words or with your actions. Or the person that you've been insensitive to or that you've just cut off. The person that you've been unfaithful to or even betrayed. You tell your teacher, your professor, your boss, your coworker. Step one, I told God. God's like, awesome. Now, move to step two. You've got to go tell the person that you've taken from, that you've hurt, that you've offended, maybe in secret. And if there's not any person that you've wronged, kind of like in the first video that we saw, but it's something, it's a, it's a secret in your life. It's a, it's a habit. It's an addiction. It's a pattern of behavior that is continuing to eat away at you and hurt you. And, and, you can, and, and you can't seem to break free from it. And honestly, it's setting the stage for more complications in the future in your relationships with God and with other people or maybe even in your job. Then again, you tell someone that can help you. Because something that AA and CA and AA and all the A people know is that there are habits and there are addictions and there's sin patterns that you simply cannot break just telling God. Because God designed us for authentic, interdependent relationships. And the people and the advice and the strength that you need is available to you. But to get it, you've got to open up to somebody other than God. Because, uh, because these habits and addictions, they can never be simply broken. Never be broken simply by willpower or struggling on your own. And I know what the tension is. Because I... Again, I know firsthand what the tension is, and it's a fear of consequences. We fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. We fear, what are they going to say? What's going to happen? How are they going to respond? What are they going to do? How is this going to affect my future? And you know who fears the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment? The people who have yet to experience the full-blown consequences of concealment. Because ultimately the consequences of concealment are far worse than the consequences of confession. And I'm just telling you, secrets grow. They get stronger. They get darker. And they begin to impact all of your relationships. It cannot be helped. And you can carry certain secrets from chapter to chapter and stage to stage of your life. And come on. Nearly every single one of us have experienced a difference between someone coming to confess something versus catching them. Some of us have experienced the other end of it where if I had waited any longer, had this other person had to catch me, or find out on their own, it would have been far, far worse. Far more complicated. Because consequences grow and grow and grow. When you confess, the consequences are immediate and they're local. The consequences of concealment can stretch over a lifetime. So this is what Christians are supposed to do, but not just privately to God. So I'll just ask the question. What have you been telling God about? As if God needed you to tell Him. Big surprise. But you know there's no change. There's no freedom. There's no change. You're not a different person. You're just maybe a church person with a secret sin. By your own definition, if roles reverse and you were the judge, you're a hypocrite. And you don't like hypocrites. That's what you've become because you're playing the confession game. So, what do you need to tell? Who do you need to tell it to? 
Some of you right now, you might feel a little sick to your stomach and want to vomit even thinking about it because you're afraid. And I understand completely and personally. But what I also know is if you're willing and able to decide, I'm going to fear the consequences of concealment more than the consequences of confession, and you begin to open up your heart appropriately to the right people, you will see life change. Maybe like you never thought possible. And the healing and reconciliation that you may think is impossible, God can make possible. So what do you need to tell? And who do you need to tell it to? Let me pray for us. Father, I don't, uh, I don't take this message lightly. I don't speak it, and I speak it in a complete spirit of humility. But God, I just recognize that from the very beginning, um, this, this enemy that we have, that the, the constant message and the constant strategy from the beginning is that you can't be trusted and your way can't be trusted. And so that we have to take control and we have to take power. And I pray for every single one of us, God, for all the ways that we try to hide and pretend to be better than we are. I pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray that your spirit would partner with us. We can't do it without you. It's too scary. It's too terrifying. We feel too trapped. And I pray, Father, for anyone listening to my voice and anything that I might have to confess in the future. God, that you would show up in a very tangible and felt way. That your spirit would be present and involved actively in the courage of confession and then that you would be involved in the reconciliation process and the healing process and the change process. But again, God, we can't do it without you. And we can't do it without each other. And so I pray that you truly would make us a community where we can be authentic and honest and real, that you would connect, that you would arrange the connections that we make with other people, part of this community or in this city or anywhere that follows you. That you would provide for every one of us that person that is safe, that we can trust, that we can just be honest with, to deal once and for all the ways that the enemy is just trying to steal and destroy our joy and our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.